This is an APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ. And today I'm very pleased to have as my guest Dr. Jason Falvey, who's a postdoctoral fellow at the Yale School of Medicine in the section of geriatrics department of internal medicine in New Haven, Connecticut. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me, Dr. Jetty. It's always great to talk with you. Today we're going to talk about an article that he and his colleagues have published in PTJ. It's entitled The Essential Role of Home and Community-Based Physical Therapists During the COVID-19 Pandemic. Let me start by saying thank you for publishing this article. I think it's extremely timely, and I think uh, the readers of PTJ will find it most interesting. In your article, you note that the availability of physical therapy services in the community for even urgent concerns is lower now during the COVID-19 pandemic. Do we have much data on how uh, much availability has been reduced in the United States or in other countries? You know, that's a great question. And the answer, unfortunately, is no. We don't have formal data on the exact scope of, of this concern. And I think that's uh, kind of a common problem across much of our response to the COVID-19 pandemic is we just don't have enough data to really inform um, the public and policy. But what I will say is there's enough media and there's enough of uh, my colleagues anecdotally um, that, are, that are reporting, you know, clinic closures, um, physical therapists applying for unemployment, which, you know, 10 years ago when I finished physical therapy school would have been unfathomable uh, to me that, that filing for unemployment would be something a physical therapist would have to learn how to do. Um, so in that way, I've seen so many students pulled out of clinicals and so many clinics that have either completely reduced services, completely shifted to tele-rehabilitation, um, or closed completely, uh, which certainly affects availability of uh, physical therapy services, especially to older adults um, who are disproportionately almost all covered by Medicare and don't have the same tele-rehab availability as some of our younger or commercially insured patients. Do you know if we're seeing the same trend with respect to rehab services in long-term care and other um, institutional settings? Yeah, I think those settings we have more more solid um, reports on. Um, And long-term care rehabilitation services are being cut to the point where the AARP um, has actually recommended that families specifically ask of five questions that they should be asking um, about long-term care facilities during the COVID-19 pandemic. One of those questions that's come up frequently for their readers is whether or not um, necessary rehabilitation services are going to be continued during the pandemic. there's media reports that multiple um, long-term care facilities or assisted living facilities, uh, and this has been verified by my colleagues from Maine to Colorado to Washington, 
that assisted living facilities have universally designated uh, rehabilitation staff as non-essential personnel, um, even from home health care companies where nurses are allowed in, but physical therapists are not. Um, and I think that's incredibly concerning for some of our most vulnerable older adults um, for, for reasons like falls or deconditioning that we know lead to increased health care utilization. You know, that gets to the main thesis of your article. You make the case that physical therapists are essential health care providers during this COVID-19 crisis, and you focus on three areas, and I'd like you to talk about each of them. You talk about reducing risk of hospitalization, reducing demand for emergency services, and then post-discharge demand for rehab for COVID-19 survivors. Could you talk about uh, each one of those briefly for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the overarching theme is that I think we have to define ourselves first and foremost as essential healthcare providers um, to the public and to our other peer colleagues um, to really show the importance of what we do. And I think if we don't recognize ourselves as essential and really lay out why um, these roles are important for us to fulfill. I, I don't understand how we can convince people in the future uh, to really believe that we are able to take the mantle of a primary care provider um, if we're not stepping up to the plate in a time of crisis. In terms of the three public health goals, I think we really um, are achieving this reducing risk of avoidable hospitalization. That, that may be the strongest role for physical therapy during uh, this crisis. What we do know in the literature is that people leaving the hospital uh, or who experience a substantial decline in ADL function or walking ability have a substantially increased risk of avoidable hospitalization. So we know um, hospitalizations that are potentially avoidable um, that are for conditions that could be managed with appropriate outpatient care Impairments in physical function disproportionately affect rates of those hospitalizations. And physical therapy services, when delivered to those vulnerable populations, are associated with protection against hospital readmission and hospitalization across a wide variety of diagnoses. People may know uh, Janet Freeberger's work, and she's shown that patients after a stroke who have touched outpatient physical therapy are less likely to be readmitted to the hospital in the future. People who have heart failure, uh, who touch physical therapy in the home health care setting, are less likely to be readmitted in that 30-day period. And very similar findings related to physical function readmissions have been found across deconditioned populations. And conversely, if patients decline in that 30-day period after hospitalization or we allow them to decline further in function um, if they've already experienced a catastrophic disability, Further decline in function is associated with um, readmissions and mortality. So I think failing to deliver really necessary therapy to patients in these uh, high vulnerability states may actually increase uh, the risk for hospitalization for these patients in the future, which is exactly what we don't want during a pandemic when one of the largest goals is to keep the hospital volume down and be able to protect hospital beds for the surge of patients uh, that are, that are recovering um, or infected with COVID-19. Similarly, if we think about the second goal of reducing demand for emergency department visits, 
this is something we've advertised as physical therapists um, for a long time, that we can be a first point of contact in the healthcare system for musculoskeletal concerns, uh, which are a disproportionately high number of ED visits. These patients don't stop having pain during a COVID-19 pandemic, but they may be less likely to seek emergency care early um, and wait until it's too late. So we have a lot of people waiting with high pain and high disability and potentially becoming higher acuity patients presenting to the emergency department at a time where COVID-19 surges are high. And in a hospital like Yale New Haven, where I am, hospitals in New York City, hospitals in Boston, where you are, are experiencing high volumes of patients. And the more we can do to offload the non-urgent patients who may have uh, manageable musculoskeletal conditions that we could manage as physical therapists, you know, either by ourselves or in collaboration with other interdisciplinary professionals is important. But closing outpatient clinics or making everything uh, virtual only really does, you know, limit our ability to say that we are primary care providers who can step up to the plate in, in a time of crisis. And I think it's a major role that we should be fulfilling um, and, and it's essential. And I think after we, we think about our role in prevention, we also have a major role in helping patients reintegrate into the community after a COVID-19 infection. I think home and community-based therapists are going to be called upon to do even more of this rehabilitation because skilled nursing facilities are a very dangerous place, uh, especially for older adults in a pandemic. And especially with infection control procedures being somewhat um, concerning um, with the spread of these infections in skilled nursing facilities, families, caregivers, uh, and the facilities themselves are really pushing um, patients to, to be discharged to the home setting, which means we're getting higher acuity patients in home care um, or seeking community-based rehabilitation to manage the demands that have been nicely laid out by, by Jim Smith and colleagues in a very recent paper that just came out in PPJ from post-ICU syndrome. And these deficits may even be of a greater magnitude for COVID-19 survivors because many of them had high prior levels of function. There's a disproportionately younger population than, than seasonal flu. So we are seeing a lot of people in their 50s that are having serious infections and being intubated and coming out with serious deficits uh, and needing high-intensity high rehabilitation to be able to return to work and return to high-level community activities. So I think these are the three roles that the physical therapists are uniquely suited um, to, to fulfill in, in essential roles. And there's obviously more, but I think these are the three key ones that we can have the most impact for our services. Well, I would encourage the listeners to take a look at your piece in PTJ because I think you make a very compelling case. In making the case, you argue that to accomplish these goals, there really are three criteria that therapists are going to have to meet. Let's talk about each of them. The first one is practicing the full scope of their license. Talk briefly about what you mean by practicing within the full scope of a therapist's license. I, I think that's a, that's a really great point. I think home care therapists may, may know uh, this feel more than most, but I think when we come to evaluating a patient, and outpatient clinics often have patients present with very specific problems and get very specific evaluations to that problem. In home care, 
Um, and for patients with COVID-19, we have to be thinking about whole patient evaluations. So we're thinking about evaluations not just of musculoskeletal system, but the entire cardiopulmonary system, which is affected in COVID-19. Issues of fatigue, issues of cognitive dysfunction, issues of neurophysiological impairment, um, primary muscle um, impairment um, from, from deconditioning, um, from being mechanically ventilated and being on prolonged bed rest. We also have to be thinking about all of the medications and the impact of cognitive impairments like delirium that impact the patient's ability to participate in physical therapy. And we have to be able to identify these problems when operating as a first point of contact sometimes in, in the healthcare system. So we, we have to be thinking at a whole patient level and helping meet not just physical, um, but also cognitive and psychosocial needs, as well as, you know, helping meet other demands. Things like organizing meals on wheels might be really essential for patients who are high risk for developing COVID-19 infection or recovering and don't really feel like they should be out in the community. So I think there's a lot of aspects in physical therapy that perhaps all therapists don't think about as their, as their daily practice. And I think for, for managing patients with very complicated illnesses, I think we all have to be ready to practice every skill in our tool set that we all are trained in as generalists when we come out and be ready to, to work in interdisciplinary teams and, and take on roles that are potentially not our specialty area, like many of our physician colleagues are being called into the ICU to do care that maybe they haven't been specifically trained in or haven't done in a long time, um, but working with their interdisciplinary teams to provide care for patients. And I think as therapists, we need to be ready to meet that challenge. I do agree this crisis is going to push therapists to really get out of their comfort zones, which mm -hmm. I think in the long run will be really uh, helpful. Absolutely. You know, the... The second criterion that you mentioned is, is a little more challenging, and, and that is that therapists are going to need the requisite personal protective equipment in order to really practice in the community. How feasible is that going to be, given all the shortages that we're reading about, even in the hospital setting currently? Yeah, I think that's the major challenge to being able to do a lot of these face-to-face -face visits, which which is why we really have to recommend a, a judicious um, look at patients that really do need face-to-face. -face. But I think this starts with defining our profession as essential and making sure that that's well communicated because the minute we designate ourselves as non-essential, we are not in line to, to get any of that personal protective equipment. Um, or, or even um, the minimum necessary to meet these, these roles that we're carrying out. I will say that therapists practicing in post-acute care settings, skilled nursing facility settings, and home health care in particular, are trained in the use of PPE, but often it is available in very limited quantities. I mean, I can tell you that um, home health care agencies in my area are rationing out masks and asking therapists to reuse them. Um, and you know that exercise is not necessarily a low-risk activity for for um, for a, a very contagious viral infection, which can be spread by coughing. Now, exercise often induces coughs. Um, you know, we we do pulmonary yep. um, interventions, so there are yep. there are high-risk interventions that that therapists are doing, 
Um, so we really do need access to that personal protective equipment. And it is, it is not available in the quantities that we would need to treat all of our patients. But defining ourselves as essential and really advocating for the minimum necessary to do um, these critical visits and be able to be prepared in the future, I think, is really critical for us. You know, that leads really to your third criterion, and that is the role of tele-rehabilitation. In your meeting, do we have good data that supports the efficacy of tele-rehab, the kinds of conditions that we're going to be facing with survivors of COVID-19? No. Um, the, the short answer is no. Like, tele-rehabilitation has been studied, and it's, the, the research is very much in its infancy. There are um, good data to support very uh, limited number of conditions in terms of what's been tested in a randomized control trial. Things like um, arm rehabilitation after stroke has been tested and published at a pretty high level. Um, that research has included members of the physical therapy profession. Um, for other conditions, there are a lot of therapists doing interventions. There are snippets of evidence for things like elective total joint replacement, um, for acute musculoskeletal conditions that um, suggest that there is high efficacy, and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that, that says that the patients really do um, receive strong benefits from, from participating in tele-rehabilitation. Um, however, uh, as I point out in the article, and I think is incredibly um, pertinent to those of us who manage older adults, like tele-rehabilitation isn't a panacea. It isn't a cure-all, and it isn't really uh, an appropriate substitute for all types of therapy. So older adults often um, with cognitive, visual, or hearing impairments may not be able to effectively participate in tele-rehabilitation if they don't have a caregiver present who is able to take those instructions. Patients in rural or socioeconomically disadvantaged areas that may not have access to high-speed Internet uh, may not be able to participate in video rehabilitation because of the, the Internet connectivity issues. Um, so I, I think we do have to realize that switching to tele-rehabilitation entirely um, may be helpful for some of our patients who can take it on, but might actually increase disparities in, in rehabilitation delivery at a time where, you know, healthcare disparities are already being exposed by the COVID-19 crisis when we're thinking about um, how it's ravishing uh, minority-majority uh, communities and disproportionately to the population. Well, there's no question that your article lays out some key challenges facing our profession and key opportunities, as you have pointed out. And you've also identified some key research priorities uh, going forward uh, in this uh, critical area. So I want to I want to thank you, Jason, both for taking the time to talk about your article with me today and for writing it and publishing it in PTJ. I think it's really important to get this information out to uh, our community, and um, I applaud your efforts uh, to do that. Thank you. Thank you, and I have to acknowledge my co-authors, Cindy Kraft and Dee Cornetti, who are members of the home healthcare section, and we, we really had this conversation, and the, the idea was kind of a genesis of uh, a conference call we had to really educate our home care therapists to, to advocate hard for our vulnerable patients, and, and really uh, this, this can kind of stem from those conversations. So I think we're happy to be able to share and, and advocate for our patients.
Well, I really encourage our listeners to take a look at the article in PTJ. I think you'll find it most uh, informative. And thank you again. Thanks, Dr. Jetty. This is an APTA podcast.